Thank you, Dan and Ensemble and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. So good to see you here and our numbers growing each week in this sanctuary. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. When our middle daughter Jordan was just six years of age, now that's more than two decades ago, she was developing a habit to which we're all prone. She was saying exactly what was on her mind, regardless of whether it was helpful or harmful, whether it was building others up or tearing others down. Whether it was critical or encouraging, she would just say it. Well, after one of her verbal spiels, I sat down and had a little talk with Jordan. I explained very carefully to her six-year-old mind. Your words start up in your mind. They travel down through your brain, and they come out of your mouth. Now, I need you to think about your mouth as a gate. We're going to call it Jordan's Gate. And your daddy's telling you right now, you are in charge of your gate. I can't open your gate. Only you can open your gate. As the words travel down, you have to think about, is this going to help others or hurt others? If it's going to be hurtful, then you just simply close the gate. Don't let it open. Don't let the words out. She was listening with her big eyes, and I wasn't sure whether her six-year-old mind was processing any of her father's hold-your-tongue lesson. And a few days, she came running in, grinning from ear to ear. She said, Daddy, my mind had something really bad to say, but I checked it at the gate. <laughs> I thought about Jordan's gate a lot these days. And I have come to the conclusion that Jordan is not the only one who needs to watch the gate. We are all prone to verbal pollution. I need a gate to tame my tongue, and you need one too. Each of us must be keepers of our own tongue, of our own words. We must measure absolutely every word that we say, but more than that today, every word that we type or tweet or post. Wasn't it Calvin Coolidge who said, I've never gotten in trouble for anything I didn't say. I've never gotten in trouble for anything I didn't say. Unfortunately, I would confess in my own evaluation that the most powerful words that I have ever spoken are words for which I had to apologize. They weren't powerful words in a good way. They were destructive words. Words that I say at a funeral can bring a great deal of comfort. And proclaiming the gospel of grace from the pulpit is a powerful event. But despite all the opportunities that I have had through my years as a pastor to do good with the spoken word, the most powerful words I've spoken, not as a pastor but as a person, are ones I wished I'd never said. When we think about Christian speech passages, we normally think about James. 
But Paul has a lot to say about it too. In our passage today in Ephesians 4, Paul addresses the issue in verse 29. When Paul writes these epistles, he has a theological section, and after giving some theology, he usually comes at the end of what we would call the ethical exhortation. And beginning in this section, he begins what we would call the ethical exhortation in the book of Ephesians. As he begins to tell the church in Ephesus how they ought to walk, what it means to conform to the image of Christ, to walk as Christ walked. Look at verse 24. And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He's saying becoming a follower of Christ is like putting on a new garment. To put on a new self, which that new self is now as a believer in the likeness of God. We might translate verse 24 this way. And we take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God reproduces his character in you. And Paul tells the Ephesians, the first word, after he tells us to put on the garment, the righteousness like God, the first word after that is, you can tell, by your speech patterns. Look at verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Proverbs 21, 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to rend and a time to sow. There's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. Most people these days, quite frankly, are speaking too much, way too quickly. Whether it's what they say, what they text, what they post, what they tweet, I visited the FBI webpage this week, www.fbi.gov. There's a section entitled, Think Before You Post. There's a college student saying, at the time I made the post, I just wasn't thinking. I used social media to vent. I wished I would have thought about the effects of scaring people. I didn't mean for that to happen. People took what I said as a terrorist threat. The university got shut down. I got arrested by the FBI, and I have no idea what my future now looks like. A few words typed out by a college student who was angry, posted in haste. He hit the send button, and he ruined his life forever. The FBI the next day was knocking on his door. We live in a day where everyone thinks he or she is a social commentator, an expert on every issue, and that no one could ever have an opinion that varies from his or her opinion. And in the political and cultural chaos of our country, the posting and typing and venting has been of very little help and mostly has created a whole lot 
of hurt. An article on webroot.com entitled, Chances Are You'll Regret Oversharing Information on Social Media, says that 57% of people between the ages of 18 and 35 think that people share too much about their personal thoughts and experiences, and nearly all in that group feel like technology is robbing them of their own privacy. Here's just a few everyday examples of oversharing. OMG. My mom was just diagnosed with cancer. Does your mom want you to say that on Facebook? Does she really appreciate your sharing that information at this time? Are you going to impact her ability to get insurance in the future? Or, thanks, brother. You saved me with those test answers. Discovered by a teacher, it'd be bad enough. Discovered by a college administrator, you're not getting in. Discovered by a potential employer, and you've documented that you're a cheat. Or, I'm so depressed, I hate my life. That's not something to post. Pick up a friend, a trusted friend, and open your heart. Call a counselor, but a little emotional bleeding on social media, it brings in the sharks, the bullies, the sexual predators, and the scammers. I hate XYZ Bank. They charge ridiculous fees on those late payments and say my credit score is too low for a loan. Don't bank there. Well, now everybody knows where you bank. You've just made yourself a target for a phishing scam and made it quite clear to everybody that you're not to be trusted with money. I actually saw one where somebody took a picture of their first credit card and posted it. We had their numbers, their expiration date. Somebody posted back, thanks for all the new clothes. Man, the whole world doesn't need to know what you're doing or thinking every moment. We just don't need to know. Do we really need a picture of Gail going to the grocery store in search of salmon patties? Me thinks not. <laughs> According to socialmediatoday.com, a great majority of Americans who use social media have posted or texted something they regret. The majority of people who post or tweet, text and type, have regretted something that they posted. I'm, I'm among them. I call it verbally vomiting on a regular occasion. In fact, of that group, one in six says they post something they regret every week. How do you do that every week? How do you keep doing that? What you post can hurt your future employment. It can certainly hurt your friendships. It can hurt your family. The number one mistake is to post in the haste of the emotional feeling. Don't hit send if it's controversial unless you've thought about it all night long. Is this your best self? Is this your best message? Is this the best way and most loving way to say it? Have you put on the garment of Christ when you say those words? In 2011, a study was entitled, quote, I regretted the minute I pressed share. Researchers by Carnegie Mellon University 
found that much of what is posted and regretted later is comments that should have been shared in private. That one should have gone to that friend face to face and had a conversation in private protected by an environment of trust versus fighting foolishly on Facebook. In fact, Carnegie Mellon's study of that Facebook said, usually regret action instead of inaction. What you regret is not what you don't post. What you regret is what you do post. You're very rarely ever upset of what you did not post. Likewise, we're very rarely upset about what we did not say. I found a family torn apart. Just, I was, read the Wall Street Journal every day. They were torn apart by a Facebook political spat. Published in a recent Wall Street Journal, the family's obviously already chosen to share it and talk to the reporters. It's the Lauren Dean Scanlon family of the suburban New Orleans. They've always had different political views in the family. Some lean liberal, some take up the conservative cause. Like many families, they had decided they just would not talk politics at Thanksgiving and Christmas. But when the 2016 presidential election came, a flame war erupted among this family on Facebook. Nobody remembers exactly how it started or what the words were, but Lisa Laurendine, a 60-year-old registered nurse, made her support for one of the presidential political candidates known, which offended her sister-in-law, a staunch supporter of the other presidential political candidate, and atomic anger within this family exploded. A 2016 Pew Research Center study found that 40% of social media users strongly agree with the idea that people say things about politics on social media platforms that they would never say to their friends in person. And that those conversations, political or issue-oriented, are angrier and less respectful of others than a face-to-face -face encounter with a friend. How many relationships have ended because someone hit send too soon? In the Lauren Dean Scanley Facebook family feud, I've called it, they still don't get together for Thanksgiving anymore. There is no Christmas. This has kept 20-something cousins from getting together, not counting the aunts and uncles, and they were used to being together every holiday. Describing her own her own part, one of the feuding family members named Jones said, I ripped Lisa to shreds. I just went into complete attack mode. It was awful. It didn't occur to me, what are you going to do when you see her at Christmas? When it was over, Lisa unfriended Joan on Facebook. And Joan said the whole episode, the family feud on Facebook, has been one of the most regrettable events of her life. This caused me a lot of pain and emotional upset. Maybe it will be our New Year's resolution to put all of this behind us. The power of words. Hurtful words. Hateful words. Emotionally charged political words. In contrast, I was reminded of the healing power of words 
this week when one of my friends, Steve Wells, a Caucasian Houston pastor, was asked to speak at the funeral of George Floyd. Can you imagine the weight my friend had on his back addressing that family at this time of national division, how difficult that burden would be? But he did so well. I texted Steve the next morning, Wednesday morning of this week, and said, best words spoken the best way. I'm proud of what you had to say. Are you proud of the words that you post, that you say, that you text, that you tweet, that you type? Are you being careful? Are you listening to Paul in Ephesians when he says, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. One translation goes this way. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. Are your words to others a grace gift? Paul must surely have been aware of those powerful words from the proverbial sage. And I quote Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. The right word spoken at the right time in the right tone are like apples of gold and settings of silver. Are my words, are your words, a blessing, an encouragement? To others, are they a gift, as Paul would say? Some of the best principles are given to us, the what we speak or what we type right here in Ephesians. The first one is in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Only speak the truth, verse 25, with your neighbor. Realizing we're members of one another. We are to be together in this. Even when we have different ideas, we are to be together. Casting off that old person, like casting aside an old coat, is to put off deceit and to put off falsehood, to stop our lying, to live as God wants us to live, to live. Exodus 20, 16, we hear the commandment of God, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If you don't know it so, don't say it so. Don't type that it's true. Are you giving your neighbor the benefit of the doubt? Proverbs 6.16, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, even seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, and feet that run rapidly to evil. And then he begins again, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Of the seven things that the wise sage says that God hates, of those seven things that God hates, well, the most common one, three of them are connected to controlling our gates. Are we spreading strife among the brothers? Are we lying? Are we a false witness? 
What we say is awfully important. Colossians 3, 9, Paul says another way, do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. It's like changing a garment. We've put off our old Adam-like self. We've put on the garment of Christ and the righteousness of God, and therefore we are to be careful with our words. John 8, 44 you are of your father the devil. This is Jesus speaking. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Here we have a contrast in John's gospel between Jesus who speaks the truth and is the truth and Satan who speaks lies because he is the father of lies. When Satan lies, he's speaking his own devilish language. Well, there's a, a second thing. Not only speak the truth, but verse 29. We must employ speech which builds up and gives grace gifts. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. Edification means build up. Speak to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear each word a gift of grace. Are you speaking your words with grace and love? Are you being constructive in your comments? When someone doesn't see things as you see them, do you go into a rage immediately and rant against your family and friends on social media? A pastor, a friend of mine, Bobby Dagnall, was once pastor at First Baptist Church of Henfield, and he's now at First Baptist Church of Lubbock. When he was pastoring in Hempville, a lady came into his office and declared to her pastor that she had seen so-and-so going to the liquor store that day. So she stopped by the church to see her pastor and sit down and tell him that she had seen somebody, a church member, at the liquor store that day. Of course, she was just driving by when she saw it. <laughs> he said, yes, ma'am, I know that's true. He was in the liquor store today. His car broke down near there, and he called me while he was there, and I went there, too, to pick him up. Sort of backfired on her, didn't it? Innuendo is destructive. It projects onto others more than we know. It claims to have the facts when in reality it is nothing but a smear. Are you talking or typing before you know the whole story? Have you heard the other side? Are you interested in any other voice other than your own voice? And even when things are true, they may indeed not be helpful. Paul didn't say if it's true, say it no matter what. He says if it's true, say it if it builds up. The message translates it, translates it this way. Say only what helps, every word a gift. Are your words, your posts, 
your tweets, your typing, are they gifts of grace? Donna Eater, a sociology professor at Indiana University, did a three-year study on the dynamics of gossip. And what the sociologist discovered was that gossip doesn't really begin when a negative word is said about someone. The gossip only truly begins when that negative word is given affirmation or a second. Are you following me? Then someone posts or types or tweets or says something negative about somebody else, and they don't get a thumbs up or a like or a love or whatever you do. If they don't get that or if they say it in person and no one joins in and says, well, I heard this too and adds on, that right there it will stop. In fact, if someone says yes, but, and says something positive about the person for whom the negative word is shared, then the one who tried to start the gossip just stands looking foolishly. He who gossips to you will gossip about you. He who gossips to you will gossip about you. In other words, when the inappropriate comments come, sometimes it's best not to correct the caustic comment, but let the fool sit in his folly. Sometimes the best thing you can do is not hit the tennis ball back over the net. It's so hard to do. You want to straighten them out. You want to post on top of his post. You want to get it straight. I got this idea that you shouldn't hit the tennis ball back over the net from a pretty good guy named Jesus. Do you remember his trial? They accuse him. They lie about him. They twist even the truth about him. They say things about him that are not so. In fact, the, Jesus stands in powerful silence and the high priest says, do you make no answer concerning these accusations against you? Mark records, he kept silent and said no words. To Herod, Luke says, that was to the chief priest. To Herod, Luke says, Jesus answered nothing. To Pilate, Mark says, Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed that Jesus wouldn't talk. Sometimes, let them hit the ball over the net and just let it sit on the court. In fact, Dr. John Skoronsky, professor of psychology at Ohio State University, was a lead author of a study that assessed the effects of gossip. And what he discovered was, weeks, months, years after the gossip, people probably remembered the message but they associate with the one who gossiped. Are you following me? So if you say something negative about somebody else, in due time, all they do is associate you with that negative message. So if you're saying someone is a liar, then two years from now, they just associate you with liar. It could work the reverse way too. If you go around singing the praises of someone who's really bright and is getting a degree from Harvard, then two years from now, they'll associate you with being an intellectual. You didn't go to Harvard. You bragged on somebody else who did. 
But the mind, he says, can't keep up with all the details. And subconsciously, over time, we began to associate people with the messages that they speak. If someone associates you with your tongue, what message are you speaking? What words are you posting, texting, and tweeting? Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, in his book, Words That Hurt and Words That Heal, says, if you can't go 24 hours without saying an unkind word about someone, if you can't go 24 hours without a drink, you're an alcoholic. If you can't go 24 hours without a cigarette, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without verbally vomiting negative messages, then you've lost control of your tongue. Our country has never needed better gatekeepers than we do at this moment. Are your words true? Are they helpful words? Are they encouraging words? Are they building up words? Do they respect people who have ideas that are different from yours? Are you qualified to comment on this cause? Are you just verbally vomiting? What about it? Do you think before you hit sin? Of all the words that Jesus ever said, I, I don't like these words. I don't get to pick and choose his words. He says them and I just got to live by them. But if I could pick and choose the words I wish Jesus didn't say, these would be the words I wished he didn't say. But he did, so I got to tell you about them. Jesus says, not me, Jesus says, Every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Matthew 12. Go look it up. Pastor and scholar friend Darren Davis says the famous last words of a fool are, I have a few more words to say. Let us pray. Oh God, as we put on Christ, as we ourselves put on the garment of grace, may our words be words of grace and comfort. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.